Micah chapter 1, we'll read the whole chapter. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open, like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Beth Lephra. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shepher, in nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zayan, and do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good because disaster has come from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds up to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The house of Asaph shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Now we looked at um, the introduction, and um, uh, I believe we uh, stopped uh, by looking at uh, uh, verse uh, 2. And, and God's call. And we saw uh, that the worst person that you can have uh, to witness against you uh, is God. Uh, but then he says, Yahweh comes from his holy temple. Uh, only God witnesses uh, to the people in absolute holiness because that's who he is. His, this shows his separation. And he's come from a place uh, to see uh, all the iniquity, but he is absolutely holy, and it's contrary to the character of all the earth. You remember Isaiah saw a vision, and he saw the holiness of God. Uh, John saw the risen Christ in symbolic form, and he fell at his feet. The one that amazes me all the time is Jesus just filled the net with fish, 
and Peter fell down. He didn't see a vision. He saw a net filled with fish. And he just said, who, who, who is this? I'm a sinful man. He knew right away. Psalm 93 and verse 5. Holiness befits your house, Yahweh, forevermore. Uh, Isaiah's uh, vision reminds us that sin will come to us if we truly see uh, the holiness of God. And then God says, behold, in verse 3, take notice here and pay attention. He's coming out of his place. Uh, the impending judgment is described in uh, anthropomorphic terms. That basically means that God is using human terms to describe his activity. He's coming out of his place. It's not that God is in one place and he's moving to another place, really. He's in every place. But he's letting them know that I am coming uh, to judge you, that my patience is over and I am moving. God is moving from one place uh, to another. Their sins stirred up Yahweh's uh, uh, movement uh, to action. He says he's going to come down from his holy temple and from the heavens. Uh, Yahweh comes down. Uh, I'm, I'm coming down. And uh, you remember it said, pay attention to all the earth. He didn't just say uh, Jerusalem and Israel, watch what's going on. He called all the earth. And remember in the introduction, somebody said when God works in one place, the whole earth can see what he's doing. And then he says, I'll tread on the high places of the earth. This is a, a figurative uh, term. And in Deuteronomy 32, 13, it says he made him ride on the high places of the land. And that's Yahweh's care for the nation. He made Israel ride on the high places of the land. But it means spiritual blessing. They, they, they never, as a, as a nation, were put on mountains and caused to ride around. That's not the idea. But it's, it's a place of blessing. Uh, Amos 4 and, and verse 13 uh, uh, is a similar passage. Behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thoughts, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Amos reminds us that God is omnipotent. He does whatever he wants. He also reminds us that he could be a witness. He's omniscient. It says he tells man what are his thoughts. Isaiah 58. Uh, there's three results of those who keep the Sabbath. Uh, it says, then you shall take delight in the Lord, number one. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Well, you say, well, wait a minute. How did he take people who uh, obeyed the Sabbath and put them up on mountains and make them ride around? That's not the idea. It's a physical picture of spiritual blessing. And then he says, the third result is I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. What's Jacob's heritage? It's a relationship with God. It's being close to God. So the high place of the earth is a picture of God's power and being above the creation and its inhabitants, but God can also cause people to have spiritual blessing. And he uses that physical picture. It's a powerful picture of spiritual blessing, protection, and fellowship. He comes down to stir up those who are complacent in their sins and wickedness. They can't uh, find any place to go. Remember Obadiah verse 3. Uh, the, the people said, well, I live in clefts. I have lofty dwellings. And, and uh, 
they questioned God. They said, who will bring us down to the ground? Well, God's letting everybody know, I, I can do that. Amos 9, 2 through 4, God says, how are you going to escape me? If you dig into Sheol, I'll find you. If you climb up to heaven, I'll find you. If you hide yourselves in the mountains, I'll find you. Or the bottom of the sea, or, or any place. And when God sets his, his mind, and he's coming, uh, then that's what's going to happen. And then this coming is very picturesque, isn't it? It's uh, picturesque, and it's similar to many of the other upheavals uh, that the, the Psalms and other passages talk about Amos 9 5 he touches the earth and it melts Psalm 97 verse 5 the mountains melt like wax before the Lord Psalm 68 verse 2 as wax melts before fire so the wicked shall perish before God we're more familiar with Psalm 46 uh, the nations rage the kingdoms totter he utters his voice uh, the earth melts the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. It says in Psalm 46, the, the mountains tremble and the waters ro roar and foam. Uh, God is coming and doing something different. He's going to move in the earth. And he uses this picturesque language to talk about the extent of that movement. How far is God going to move? Well, things are going to melt. Valleys are just going to be uh, uh, shattered. There's going to be a drastically opposite uh, condition uh, from the normal state. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm, Psalm 33, 9. In, in our studies in God's faithfulness, uh, Thomas Manton used the earth as a picture of God's faithfulness and reminded us that the earth is just hanging out there in the middle of nothing, in the middle of space, and God holds and controls everything about the earth so that it doesn't move. And here, here in, in uh, Micah, God's saying the opposite. I'm going to stir things up. The mountains melt. The valleys split open. It, it'll be like wax before fire. And, and it'll be like water's pouring down. This rushing torrent is going to come. And here are the reasons in verse 5 through 9. The reasons for his powerful appearance. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Collectively, the, the nation described as Jacob and Israel. God's own people and their sin have caused him to respond. And he responds with irresistible power, searching omniscience, and vivid destruction. And then he asks the question, what is the transgression of Jacob? And the answer is Samaria. And Ahab set up Samaria, and it was a idolatrous from that time on. You remember the prophets of Baal, you remember the prophetesses of Asherah ate at uh, Jezebel's table, and it became that symbol. Uh, in uh, Jesus's time, the Jews had nothing to do with Samari Samaritans because they still held that stigma. You're, you're a Samaritan, you're an idolater. Uh, so were they. So were they. They didn't receive Jesus's messages either, but that was their, their prejudice. And what is the high place of Judah? Well, the high place was a, a, a place of false worship. And, and what does he say it is? It's Jerusalem. How could Jerusalem, the place where the temple is, the place where God said his uh, worship would come, be a, a, like a high place? Well, that's what it had become, a, a place of uh, false worship. 
supposed to be a place of true worship, uh, but he calls it a high place, a place of idolatry and spiritual adultery. These were not, these were not closet sins. These were not sins that they tried to hide and cover up. These cities were hubs of activity. There was a lot going on in these cities, but they were also uh, hubs of idolatry. They were busy with perverted uh, worship and perverted uh, uh, priests and, uh, and perverted practices. Jeremiah 23, 13 says, In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led many people in Israel astray. And it's a sad thing that not only back then, but today, people go after false prophets. You can compare some teaching of people with the Bible and say, well, that guy doesn't teach what's in the Bible at all. And he has a global ministry. And you say, how in the world can that be? The guy thinks we're all gods. He thinks that Jesus turned into the devil on the cross. He thinks this, he thinks that, but he has a global ministry. But that's what happened. They turned, they led the people astray. Hosea has five references against Samaria and Amos has five references against Samaria. In Isaiah 10, verses 10 and 11, Isaiah puts the words in the, in the mouth of the Assyrians. As my hand has reached to the kingdom of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols I have done to Samaria and her images? The, the Assyrians also all, all, they said, nobody can stop me. You remember their, their viewpoint was, if we beat you, that means our gods are stronger than your gods. If we defeat you in battle, that means our gods gave us the victory. Notice in verse 6 and 7, the destruction of Samaria. What is God going to do? These are all uh, activities of God. I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, although her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute she shall return. All these things are going uh, to happen. The idolatry was accelerated by the temple prostitution that the, the uh, Hosea 8 6 says the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces Hosea 2 uh, 12 you remember the temple prostitutes said oh look these are the wages that I that I got and it's it's going to uh, it's going to flip around so the temple prostitutes gathered their wages from the people now the Assyrians, the conquerors, are going to gather their, the, them. They're going to gather them and, and tell them what they're going to do and tell them what they're going to have. Uh, spiritual harlotry with Assyria and all the idols go back to Assyria. We want to worship their gods. Well, you will because you're going to be taken back there and they're going to take all their stuff. And then Micah begins a, a lament and uh 
it, it would be good to pause here to think about our generation as well, uh, that we could lament this way. I, I, don't, I don't think we have sackcloth. I'm not going to walk around without clothes on because of what's going on in my country. But, but think, January 1st, nothing has changed, right? We didn't step into Oz or anything like that. It, it's just, it's a false view of time. It's a lie. But Micah, like Paul, was grieved at unbelief. Paul said, I wish that I was cursed so that they would be saved. And you say, did he really mean he wished that he would go to hell? No, it's like a, it, it, it's like a parent whose child has cancer. And you say, I really wish I had it, not him. And that was his heart. But look, what, look at the actions that, that Micah said. I'll lament, I'll wail, I'll be stripped and naked. God actually told Isaiah to do this. Take your clothes off and go around like that because that's how the people are going to go. That's how they identified captives. Cut off their hair and take their clothes away from them and let them walk. Or they put fish hooks in their, in their lips and let them walk. We, we, we see pictures of, of, the, of the Holocaust. The prisoners all had prisoner clothes, didn't they? inmates in our prisons, they all have prison clothes. The first thing you got to do after you get away is change your clothes. And it's as, it's as if Micah is saying, that's what you're going to look like. I'm lamenting. I could cut my hair. I could run around naked because that's, what, that's what's going to happen to you. And it tears them up inside. The, the land is going to be laid waste. And I learned... Uh, that jackals and ostriches make a strange morning sound uh, uh, at nighttime. I didn't know that, but that's what I learned. Uh, if you've ever been uh, on a lake in the Northeast and, and heard a loon, uh, you, you know what I mean. Uh, the loons cry out on the lake and it's like, what is that noise? Well, it's just a bird, but it's this, it's this strange mournful a song you might call it. Both the jackal and the ostrich make this weary, eerie, mournful tone and commentators say that's what's going to come out of you. Did, you. did you ever hear somebody who is in absolute grief stricken? They, they, they wail and they moan. They can't, they can't handle their emotions, can they? Well, that's the idea. You'll, you'll hear strange, what is that noise? Oh, that's that woman over there. She just lost her husband. I never heard anything like that in my life. Well, that's what, that's what Micah is saying. Uh, verse 9, here, here is an answer to why do you wail and why do you lament? And the answer is, for her wound is incurable. Back, back in Civil War times, I happened to read a lot about the Civil War. A Civil War aged doctor could look at somebody and say, there's nothing I can do for them. If you were shot in the bowels, you, pretty much you were done. 
I mean, other places too. But there's no way to put it all back together. There's no way they can sow those organs. They're, they're on a battlefield. Nothing we can do. The wound is incurable. Jeremiah 30, verse 12 and 15. Verse 12, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. Verse 15, why do you cry out over your hurt? Right? Eventually, that's what they said. Oh, God, this is too much for me. I'm getting judged. This is too much. Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great. That's the idea. God says you're, you're just suffering the, 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 the pain of your guilt. That's what's causing you to wail. Because your sins are flagrant, I have done these things to you. Once again, God lets us know he's in control. He's the one that's uh, calling them uh, to account. The judgment uh, is in their face. Notice, it's come to Judah. It's reached to the gate. So the Assyrians are right there. You, you remember in Isaiah, uh, this incident turned around, but you remember the Rabshika came, he was standing right there. He said, we just whipped everybody all around you, and we don't want you to even think that your God is going to save you. And that was true. Everything he said is true. There was no way to stop him. Well, that time, God killed 185,000 of them, but they came back. But that's where they were. You remember, he said, don't talk like that. You'll scare the guys on the wall. That's how close he was. So their enemy is within 50 feet, 40 feet. He's in yelling distance. Don't trust the Lord. He can't deliver you from us. And they're looking out at 185,000 people. Isaiah 8, we studied last week. It says it's going to fill the breath of your land. That's how complete. And then verse 10 through 15 is very interesting. It's a town by town instruction. But Micah uses word pictures for every town. So the, it's like a little word play on every town. I learned this from the, the English Standard Version uh, Study Bible, that each word means something that's in that verse. So it's town by town destruction using the names of the towns that were taken by the Assyrians. And they, they had a nice map that helped you. And if you remember in our study in Hosea, if Jerusalem was here, they would go south of Jerusalem, they would come east, and then they would go north. That was the easiest way to do it. So the map was helpful because it showed you the towns are right over here. So that's what they did. They came down, they destroyed all these towns, and then they came up. Perhaps you remember the uh, uh, verse in uh, Hosea that said, look behind you, Benjamin, or behind you, Benjamin, because where were they? They, they? they got behind. They came around. Uh, Hosea uh, talked about trumpets coming. And uh, uh, the map and everything was helpful. So some of the town names are slightly changed to reflect the destruction and terrible conditions. So the first one is Gath. It's an old Philistine stronghold. Who was from Gath? Do you remember? Yeah, Goliath. That's where he came from. And uh, that was a Philistine stronghold. So he came out. Uh, tell it not in Gath. All right, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. So why would you not tell it 
or weep in your enemy's stronghold. Because what would they do? They would say, what? Jerusalem is taken over? Great, that's great news. You remember the conflict with, with David and Goliath. Who did David say was going to bring the victory? Uh, that's right. You remember this God-to-God -God thing that they had going on. So don't tell, don't tell it in Gath. Don't, don't tell our enemies that Jerusalem is being taken. Don't tell our enemies Assyria is right at the gate. They're going to gloat. What about weeping? Well, I go over to you and I, I say, well, I noticed you were crying. How come you're crying? Oh, Jerusalem's taken over. The Assyrians took it over. Ah, ha, ha. I've been waiting for that for years. I hope they kill every one of you Jews. Don't mention it. Don't say anything. And don't cry because somebody might ask you why. And there was that battle all the time. They got the ark and they thought we defeated them. We got the ark. And what happened? Dagon fell over. His ears fell off. All that stuff. And then finally they get rid of it. And they send all these gifts back. But that's, but that's not the idea. The idea is obedience. The idea is integrity. The idea is keep God's commandments and, and serve him. Uh, Barnes says victories over them seem to their heathen neighbors to be victories over him. Victories over God. He seemed to be dishonored without because they had first dishonored him within. You remember Rahab, what did she say that they heard about the Jews? That they were, they were deathly afraid. We heard what you did to Sihon and Og and this and that and this. You're unstoppable. They defeat Jericho and then what happens with Ai? One guy. One guy takes stuff. One guy disobeys. That's what it's all about. It's not whose God is the most powerful. It's who follows God down to the T, who follows what God says, who obeys God's word. The people of Israel, it says, broke faith. You say, wait a minute, it was only one guy. And that's a reminder. That's a reminder to me. You keep your heart pure because you live in a congregation of brethren. You follow the Lord the right way because your example is lived out. Your life is lived out among brethren. God forbid the day that somebody comes in here and says, oh, what happened to that Sunday school teacher you had? Terrible. And they, and they did all those lots and everything and they tracked the guy down and it took, him, took his whole family out. So the first one is Beth Lafra. Uh, literally, it means house of dust. And the, the picture is you'll roll yourself in the dust. And the next one, Shafir, it sounds like the word uh, beautiful, but the contrast is you're going to be in nakedness and shame. And nakedness in the Bible is not appropriate, is it? Uh, Zayanin sounds like come out and they'll come out in fear. Uh, they do not come out. Beth Izel. It means the house of taking away. It's a, a play on words. 
They shall take away from you its standing place. Marath conveys the idea of bitter. A bitter town waits for good because disaster has come down. They say, now what's happened to us? We're defeated and it's, it's bitter. It comes right to the gate of Jerusalem. It's a reminder that that pathway is going to be complete. Lakish sounds like the Hebrew Larakesh, to the steeds or go to the horses. But the irony here is not get on chariot horses, but you'll find horses to run away as fast as you can. 13b, verse 13b, Lachish is blamed for the beginning of idolatry. Uh, the transgressions of Israel followed. They must have followed Jeroboam's unfaithful and false worship. And uh, they were in, they were in the, the south, they were in Judah, right? Ten tribes, two tribes, they were there, but somehow adopted that. And the commentators say you can't find the incident uh, that happened. But here in Micah, it's saying, you were the first to, to turn away. Uh, Moresheth Gath, it sounds like one who is betrothed. And uh, the idea is, uh, it, it'll, it'll be like uh, you're betrothed to the Assyrians. They're going to get a dowry from you. They're going to get all the spoil from you. Uh, Akzib sounds like uh, Akzab. It means deceptive or uh, deceitful. And you, you see, no... No help. Uh, no help. It'll be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. They, they tried everywhere to, to get help, didn't they? They tried to go to Egypt. They tried to do this. They tried to do this. And all the deception uh, is going to uh, fade away. Uh, verse 15, Marishah, uh, the Hebrew word Yoresh, uh, means conqueror or dispossessor. And Israel was dispossessed uh, uh, those nations that were in Canaan, that, that is an irony, isn't it? God sends Joshua, says, get rid of all these nations. But what did they do? They didn't get rid of them all, and then they adopted their false religion. Now, it's saying they're going to be uh, driven out. And then the reference to, uh, the reference to Adullam, uh, I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. And uh, the picture is David's flight from Saul. Uh, if you look at the people who he had with him, you would say, why did he take a bunch of guys like that? And Saul's got soldiers and, and, and all sorts of people tracking him down, and David's hiding in a cave. And basically, Micah is telling them, uh, that's, what, that's what's going to happen to you. That's going to be your only uh, resort, is to run and hide from uh, the Assyr uh, Assyrians. And then uh, verse uh, 16, here is an exhortation to extreme mourning and repentance, but it also gives an eerie uh, picture of it. In times of great distress, repentance is not only acted out, but called for. Job got the report from all those people about what had happened to him and his family. And it said he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground. Isaiah 15, 2 says, On every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. 
He, he talks about Moab there. Moab's going to be conquered, and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to cut their hair off. Those, oh, those bald people over there, those, those are the captives. Jeremiah 7, 29, cut off your hair and cast it away. He tells them to display repentance. Display your, display your repentance to your children because you will be like an eagle, eagle, and swiftly your children and you will be separated. Make yourself bald because like the bald eagle, he just flies, he just soars. There's nothing that can stop it. And, and that's the idea. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle for they shall go from you into exile. Use the, use the bald eagle as a picture. Show repentance to your children because help them to, help them to learn when God's judgment is on them that, that our parents sinned, the generation around us sinned, that's why we're here. Give them a chance to repent uh, at the end. Well, we'll just start to chapter 2. We're making more progress than I anticipated. Now, Micah's exhortations move from towns to people. And he stops speaking of towns and starts talking to specific people and addresses the evil activities of the nation. And these are not unfamiliar to us because it's about oppressing the poor and taking over property and things like that. So notice... Woe to those who divide wicked, devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. So here's somebody who is premeditating sin. They're thinking about what kind of plan that they can concoct in order to sin against somebody else. And they're, they're taking the time laying on their bed to come up with this. That's not unusual, is it? Don't we lay in our beds sometimes and think about what we're going to do, right? And then you wake up and you say, what was I thinking about last night? But anyway, you, you make plans. Tomorrow I have to do this and tomorrow I have to do that. And there's a new day tomorrow. And, and I'm going to do this and get up and have my devotions. And then I'm going to do that and I have to do this and this. But these are executing uh, evil premeditated uh, devising of wickedness. They covet fields and they seize them. They covet houses and they take them away. They oppress a man and they take away the house of his inheritance. That's the idea. It's, it's greed and covetousness. It's scheming and, and planning. All this is like Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth's vineyard. The guy is the king. And he sees this nice vineyard, and he comes, and do you remember what it says? He's all down, and he won't, he's on his bed, and he's facing the wall. I hope you young ladies never just face the wall in distress when uh, things don't go your way, right? He's facing the wall. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. Leave me alone. And Jezebel says, what's going on? He says, I can't be happy because Naboth's got this vineyard. You're the king of everything. But what is in there? Covetousness. And what's in her? Why, it's like throwing gas on a flame. Because she's murderous and wicked and in a sense worse than him. And she says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. 
false witnesses, they kill him, and she says, there's your vineyard. And it's not surprising that he's met in the vineyard and said, your blood is going to be spilled. But that's the same thing. Coveting leads to many, many more sins. Coveting is dangerous. Coveting and desiring things that we don't have is deadly. But then verse 3, who's going to devise a plan? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. Notice he uses the word disaster twice. Behold, he says again, take notice. He's devising disaster. It's repeated from Micah 1.12. Disaster has come from Yahweh. You can't get your neck out. You, you were proud and haughty, but now that's all changed because God is going to humble you. He says it will be a, a time uh, of disaster. I think I'm going to stop there. The, um, the next thing is a, a familiar uh, format. God says, in that day, and, and he talks about they're going to raise up a taunt song or a, a proverb against you and say certain things. But that, that uh, to describe that will take uh, longer than uh, the time that's left. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your goodness to us. We are thankful for uh, you being on the throne. We are thankful for the mediation and intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the salvation that is found in him. Help us to take these things that we've seen in your word and to understand what you are serious about and what you desire from men. In Jesus' name.